This is your medical podcast for all things weird, wild, and worth exploring. I'm Emily S.J., and this is Odd Body. Now, many of the topics you'll hear on this podcast are medical phenomenon that will be better understood if you have a medical background. So, if you're in the field, turn this shit up and enjoy, because today I'm talking about brain zaps. Brain zaps, also known by various pseudonyms like brain shakes, brain shivers, brain shocks, or brain flips, are an understudied enigmatic symptom of discontinuation from SSRIs and SNRIs. Yep, these terms are non-scientific, but you'll be hard-pressed to find an actual medical term to describe this phenomenon beyond just neurological symptom or electrical shock. We have different accounts with many commonalities, but perhaps the fact we have little science to explain zaps and to predict their occurrence may be the reason they remain medically nameless. Or maybe they've just been wrongfully confused with dizziness. It's hard to say. But one thing is clear. Without a term we can all agree on, researching this already murky topic is tricky, to say the least. As a side note, withdrawing from other anxiolytics, amphetamines, and MDMA, for those who like to party, have also been said to cause zaps. But our focus today is on SSRIs and SNRIs, because these medications make up the lion's share of cases. Those who've experienced zaps perceive them as brief electrical shocks in the brain that cause sensory disturbances, disorientation, and a vertigo-like sensation. Some describe the zaps as momentary blackouts or jolts. Some experience tinnitus in the form of buzzing, swooshing, salt shakers, or lightsabers. And the lucky patients liken them to orgasms, but without the pleasure. Other reports describe zaps that originate in the head and then transmit peripherally all the way to the fingers and toes. Patients claim the zaps can last anywhere from a split second all the way to five seconds, with varying frequencies throughout the day. While these zaps can be annoying, worrisome, or even physically and mentally unbearable, pain, surprisingly, was not often associated with the discomfort. Despite this, patients who experience zaps to a perceivably intolerable degree sometimes just give up on discontinuation altogether, and as a result, stay on their antidepressant indefinitely. The first symptoms of SSRI cessation were recognized in 1993, and by 1996, pharmaceutical companies finally recognized that the symptoms of SSRI discontinuation existed, although they claimed that these symptoms were rare at best. That same year, two researchers at Massachusetts General Hospital challenged this theory, finding that anywhere between 20 to 80 percent of patients were experiencing these adverse reactions. According to research, brain shivers was the first term used to describe this phenomenon back in 1999, but a similar sensation was described in the early 1980s in relation to phenylzine, which was treated in some cases with vitamin B6. Cessation symptoms generally last between one to several weeks, and a small percentage report months of discomfort. However, because SSRI and SNRI cessation includes a collection of symptoms, it's unknown which symptoms, including brain zaps, occur and for how long. So what makes them better? Well, some swear by bridge medications. This consists of incorporating a new medication from the same drug class or similar drug class, but one that has a longer half-life than the original drug. 
Once the patient has weaned off the original medication, the patient then weans off the bridge medication. For example, venlafaxine is an SNRI with a half-life of 4 hours, and the SSRI fluoxetine's half-life is 1 to 4 days. So theoretically, fluoxetine could be prescribed along with venlafaxine to reduce the occurrence of brain zaps during discontinuation. Because of its incredibly short half-life, it's also reported that phenylephexine can cause brain zaps and other symptoms of withdrawal when the regular dose is delayed by just 12 hours, which is mind-boggling since even the manufacturers of phenylephexine recommend just a two-week cessation period. Actual treatments for zaps that don't include extra antidepressants are largely unsubstantiated and unfortunately come from resources that aren't peer-reviewed or published in reputable journals. Either way, individuals across all sorts of blogs and internet support groups claim they've had luck with the following agents. Omega-3 fatty acids like fish oil, vitamin B12, magnesium, Benadryl, and even spirulina. Now, let's be clear. I'm a medical professional, which means that science always prevails. So personally and professionally speaking, I can't endorse any of these remedies and feel that time, which is a luxury I actually have right now, is the only treatment modality that's worth anything. So for those of you scrolling through my resources, WikiHow was not actually used for the true substance of this episode. I promise. However, if these remedies have worked for you, I'm very stoked on your behalf. So how common are these brain zaps? Well, personal accounts are all over the internet, but the literature is pretty skimpy. In a study of nearly 800 patients, 42.5% reported brain zaps of varying intensity, duration, and frequency during either dose reduction or the withdrawing process. In another study with nearly 200 patients undergoing the withdrawal process, 66.4% taking SSRIs and 82.5% taking SNRIs experienced brain zaps. These are pretty significant figures. In study number three with over 300 patients, 25.7% of patients reported experiencing zaps after having completely tapered off their medication. Now, this isn't a topic I randomly stumbled across during this lonely pandemic. It's actually something I've been personally experiencing. After taking acetylopram for two years and then under the advisement of my PCP, I tapered off my low-dose SSRI over the course of three weeks. I thought this would be enough. Behold me, the nursing school graduate, the compliant patient, afflicted by a side effect that makes me feel like my brain is glitching and trying to reboot every 20 seconds. I feel dizzy without the nausea. I feel drunk without the amnesia. And nothing helps except for decreasing the time I'm awake for them. Much like study number three, I didn't experience the zaps until after I had completely tapered off my medication. Before I dive into the proverbial why, let's discuss what provokes the shakes. Patients have reported that eye movements in general, but lateral eye movements especially, along with running, walking, and changing positions were all inciting factors. You know, the kind of movements that can be super easy to avoid if you're alive. It's also speculated that those with a history of migraines may be more susceptible to changes in medications, including dose adjustments and tapering. Low levels of serotonin can precipitate migraines, so when patients with a history of migraines further decrease their concentration of serotonin, we can reckon that their migraines will increase in severity and frequency, and they may have a greater chance of experiencing brain zaps. 
Some theories as to why the zaps occur do exist, but research efforts focus mainly on length of withdrawal rather than understanding the cause of zaps and how to treat them. Don't get me wrong, okay? If we can prevent something, then we obviously wouldn't need a treatment for said thing. However, weaning from medications isn't an exact science. In 2010, Japanese researchers found that when patients were weaned off paroxetine using microdosing over the course of, get this, nine months to four years, withdrawal symptoms decreased from 78% to just 6%. Another Dutch research team recommended a similar approach to dose reduction until the patient is ultimately taking just one fortieth of the originally prescribed dose. What these studies fail to account for are the individuals that only use antidepressants in a short-term capacity and the individuals like me who are only taking 10 milligram of Lexapro at the peak of my treatment. My recommendation? Well, we need more studies to understand how the hell a person with all their unique characteristics can safely discontinue their antidepressant without the symptoms ruining their life. Easier said than done. Electrophysiological changes in the brain, specifically concerning the various 5-HT receptors, may hold a potential explanation. These receptors have to adjust to an increase in neurotransmitters when a patient begins their medication, and then they have to readjust to lower levels associated with discontinuation. This theory hasn't been researched with regards to brain zaps, but it does mirror the initial delay we see before antidepressants reach their full therapeutic potential. After chatting with my nursing school friend, the neuroscience fanatic, she encouraged me to take a closer look at the vestibular system and the corresponding neurotransmitters. Thanks, Kelsey. So, the vestibular system is a complex body of auditory canals and sensory organs that, when working properly, transmits information to the vestibular structures in the brainstem, which mediate our gaze, balance, sense of motion, and our position in space. Enter serotonin, aka my best friend through grad school. Serotonergic receptors actually live in this vestibular system, so when your levels of serotonin are depleted, say after you remove a certain SSRI from your life, the result is severe dizziness and vertigo. So while serotonin is the household happy chemical, it's also a central culprit responsible for nausea. This is why ondansetron antagonizes one of the many 5-HT receptors to target nausea. Along the same vein, norepinephrine functions as a modulator for vestibular stimulation. Studies show that SNRIs are commonly used to treat vestibular dysfunction, including migraines and vertigo, because norepi causes an excitatory response in the vestibular nuclei, which plays a role in mediating postural equilibrium. While in this neurotransmitter rabbit hole, I actually did find that Benadryl can act as a vestibular suppressant, so maybe there is some merit to the claim that it can mollify brain zaps. I guess we'll just have to wait for those studies that will probably never happen. Speaking of studies, where do we go from here? Well, we need more studies that consider factors like age, duration of treatment, medical history, and dose to tell us if these variables bear any weight on withdrawal symptoms. We need more information. Why do our brains electrocute us when we deprive them of serotonin and norepinephrine? What in a physiologic sense is happening when an individual experiences a zap? More research on tapering, 
Aside from microdosing for the better part of a decade, which who even has time for that, some resources suggest two to three weeks, while others suggest upwards of three months. One thing everyone can agree on is that weaning must occur slowly and it must occur with the individual in mind. But without an exact etiology or even acknowledgement that ZAPs exist, physicians can't be expected to provide an educated guess as to how long a patient should wean. It's important to keep in mind that prescription antidepressants are on the extreme rise. Between 1988 and 2008, the use of antidepressants increased by a whopping 400%, and the numbers are increasing every year. So why don't we know more about brain zaps? Why didn't my PCP, whom I literally trust with my life, my brain, and whom I respect more than most, tell me about brain zaps? Well, it's probably because we simply know too little. Holler at me on Instagram at oddbodypodcast. Visit the website oddbodypodcast.com. You can tell me you loved it, you can tell me you hated it, or send me topics you want to hear about. Either way, stay healthy, don't litter, and thanks for listening.